Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Welcome to Seniors Straight Talk, where we present informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. The show, formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy, has been rebranded with expanded content and topics. All previous episodes of Voices for Elder Care Advocacy can be found on the Voice of America Empowerment Channel and is also available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. My co-host, Rubina Chaudhry, is on hiatus for a few weeks. Today, I am so honored to have as uh, my guest, Frank Shankwitz, who is best known as the creator, co-founder, and first president CEO of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, an extraordinary, an extraordinary charity that grants the wishes to children with life-threatening illnesses. From humble beginnings, the Make-A-Wish Foundation is now a global organization. Frank is a U.S. Air Force veteran and has a long and distinguished career in law enforcement. He began as an Arizona Highway Patrol motorcycle officer and retired as a homicide detective with the Arizona Department of Public Safety after 42 years of service. Frank has been featured in numerous publications and television programs, including Inside Edition, The Doctors, Hallmark Home and Family, Fox News, and CBS. And Frank has received numerous awards, including the White House Call to Service Award from two U.S. presidents and the Making a Difference in the World Award from the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. In 2015, Frank joined six U.S. presidents as well as Nobel Prize winners and industry leaders as a recipient of the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. In December 2015, Frank was identified as one of the most amazing Arizonians. And in January 2016, Frank was identified in a Forbes magazine article as a Forbes Top 10 Keynote Speaker. I mean, the list just goes on and on. In April 2017, Frank was presented the Unite for Humanity Celebrity Icon Social Impact Award, joining past recipients Matthew McConaughey and Morgan Friedman. And in February 2018, he shared the stage with Matthew McConaughey at Universal Studios at the L.A. City Gala and was presented the first City Gala Hero Award. Frank's book, Wishman, was re-released in September 2018 and is available at Amazon.com and via his website, wishman1.com. And in May 2019, the movie about his life, um, Wishman, um, was produced and can be, mu- can be viewed on Netflix. So, Frank, with that uh, extraordinary introduction for an extraordinary human being, I'm so honored for you to be here with me. Um, welcome. Well, thank you, Phyllis, and especially for the invite. Um, and it's funny, I don't identify myself with the senior community until I look in a mirror and realize <laughs> I am there. Uh, you know it's funny that you say that because um this is such a youth-driven culture and um uh, many months ago i interviewed someone on the voice america um empowerment channel program voices for elder care advocacy and this woman uh who actually was a mentor of mine she was an undergraduate professor of mine uh takes care of her younger grandchildren and uh one day they said to her uh, nana you have so many wrinkles and what she said has just created a whole different view about this for me uh which it was um I've earned these wrinkles, and with these wrinkles have a lot of wisdom. I, I've lived a long life. So certainly um, certainly you fall in that category for sure. You know, I'm just grinning ear to ear just um, just speaking with you. So um, oh, well, thank, thank you, you thank so you. much. So 
Uh, for people who haven't seen the movie or read your bio or know much about you, what, what inspired you to start Make-A-Wish Foundation? Well, we go back, and this is 40 years ago. We founded it in 1980, but a little pre-story with that was um, I was a motorcycle officer, like you mentioned, with Arizona Highway Patrol, and I was on a 10-man tactical team that we worked the whole state of Arizona, two weeks in one town, two weeks in another. And it was during this period, the middle 70s, that the TV show Chips became very popular. And for people who don't recall that show, it's a senior program, so everybody should, right? <laughs> <laughs> I certainly but, remember. <laughs> but, for those, but for those that don't recall, it was the adventures of two California Highway Patrol motorcycle officers, Ponch and John, uh, played by uh, Larry Wilcox and Eric Estrada. And it was very popular with the young set. And, and we, our group, initially trained with California Highway Patrol up in Sacramento, and our equipment, meaning the motorcycles, were identical to what they were riding, and our uniforms were almost identical. And what I'm getting at is we would ride in our two-man teams, never the, the whole 10-man squad together except the special events. All of a sudden, the kids, the grade school kids, are waving, hey, Ponch, hey, John, hey, Chips. <laughs> and, and it was a lot of fun because, as I said, we looked just like those guys. And uh, I started asking our commanders, can I go to the grade schools on some of our slow time, talk about bicycle safety? And they said that'd be great PR, and it was. The kids loved it. They could care less about bicycle safety. They just wanted to crawl all over the motorcycles. (laughs) (laughs) And and it was so much fun. Um, And then in 1980, uh, I received a call from our dispatcher, and this is before the days of Internet cell phones, and uh, the uh, the radio, and she says, find the nearest pay phone, if anybody remembers what those are. <laughs> I don't know how many of our listeners remember pay phones. <laughs> yeah. which, which was about 40 miles away, and I finally called in. And they said, we have just been informed by a U.S. customs agent named Tom Austin, who has befriended this family, that there's a seven-year-old boy named Chris. And Chris's mm-hmm. heroes are Ponch and John from the television show Chips. And he told his mother, when I grow up, I want to be a motorcycle officer, just like Ponch and John. And unfortunately, Chris had terminal leukemia. Uh, mm-hmm. Leukemia in those days was a death sentence. The children did not survive. And he only had a couple weeks to live. And the family asked, is there any way that he could meet one of the motorcycle officers, just, just to hang out for a day? And uh, they chose me, because maybe because I had been working with the children all over the state, to be that motorcycle officer, just one of those small world things, as we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris is in a hospital, in IVs. Now, I never met this little boy, but with the permission of his doctor and his mother, who's a divorced mom, single mom, uh, they allowed us to send our state police helicopter to his hospital, pick him up, and fly him to our headquarters building in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm. And they timed it so as I was approaching the landing zone on the motorcycle, the helicopter would be approaching. And, again, I never met this little boy. I had no idea what to expect. But all I see is the helicopter approaching is this little boy with his face plastered against the glass the window with a great big smile. Helicopter landed. I expect our paramedics to help this little boy out. He just came off IVs. Door opens, a little red pair of sneakers jumps out, runs over the motorcycle. Hi, I'm Chris. Can I get on your motorcycle? Well, of course you can, Chris. But he's laughing and giggling. And he had watched Chip so much, as I mentioned, our motorcycles were identical to the TV show. This is the siren. Can I turn it on? These are the red lights. These are the flashes. What's in your saddlebag? The same as Punch. And he's just having the grandest time. I'm looking at his mother, Phyllis, and she's crying. And I couldn't figure out why, and then it dawned on me, she has her seven-year-old back. Right. Instead of laying in a hospital. Now, Chris went on that day and the following day to become the first and only honorary Highway Patrol motorcycle officer in our history at that time, complete with his own certificate, swearing him in as a full Highway Patrolman, uh, his own badge, which is still assigned to him today, the smoky hat. And then the following day, we even had a custom-made uniform made for him that we presented to him. But the most important thing for him it was his motorcycle wings, which made him a full motorcycle officer, the wings that the officers wear on their uniforms. 
And unfortunately, a couple of days later, Chris passed away. <clears throat> and I always like to think maybe those wings helped carry him to heaven. But my commander called me in and said, we have just lost a fellow officer. And we have learned that Chris is going to be buried in a little town called Kewanee, Illinois, about 108 miles mm-hmm. uh, southwest of uh, Chicago. And I would like you and your partner to go back and give him a full police funeral, which we did. Now, again, this is before the days of Internet or cell phones or anything. But the press picked us up, Phyllis, what we were doing, our mission. And when we landed in O'Hare in Chicago, that we were met by the major press, CBS, NBC, so on, uh, the TV networks, the radio network, what's going on, what is your mission? And when we got to this little town of Kewanee, Illinois, because of the press had alerted the Illinois State Police, the city police, the county police, that all came to join us, the little boy, for his funeral procession. And he was buried in uniform. His grave marker reads, Chris Gracious, Arizona Trooper. Oh, flying home, <laughs> yeah, flying home, I just started thinking, here's a little boy who had a wish, and we made it happen. Why can't we do that for other children? And that's when the idea of the Make-A-Wish Foundation was born, maybe 35,000 feet over Kansas or somewhere. Uh, but just let's do this for other children. And because of that one little boy, as you mentioned, we're now a worldwide organization. You know, it's uh, so many uh situations like this, how one person um, can change the face of uh, so many experiences for people and for society in general. I mean, now we're, we're going through that with the, the death of George Floyd. So uh, one person can be so impactful, and I've always lived by that, that one person can make a difference. And um, in, uh, you were the person who carried this his vision forward, but he was the impetus behind it. Uh, it, It's just such a beautiful story. How has the mission of the organization, or has it changed in any way over the years, and how many wishes does the organization uh, grant worldwide? Yeah, the the mission has changed, and I was the first president and CEO, as you mentioned, and um, when we started this, as I mentioned, it was for children with terminal illnesses, because as, as I said, the children did not survive. And about 20 years ago, uh, maybe 25 years ago now, um, the mission was changed to children with life-threatening illnesses because through the grace of God and modern medicine, more and more children are surviving. And from that one child, Chris, uh, being the inspiration to start all of this, we now are 62 chapters in the United States, 45 uh, international chapters on five continents, and have granted over a half a million wishes since hmm. since we started this. And the most amazing statistic that I, I still am amazed by is every 28 minutes, when you and I are having a phone conversation, interview, a wish is granted somewhere in the world. Every 28 minutes. Oh my goodness! It's it is extraordinary. That, that, yeah, that's that's hard to comprehend. It is. So how do they? Uh, how does the organization select recipients to uh, receive? Uh... Every every child with life-threatening illnesses is, is eligible for a wish, and we don't select. We we are contacted by the hospital, by parents, by relatives. We have this child. Uh, we contact the child's physician to to see what the issue is. And then they're eligible for the wish. We don't select. They come to us. And, uh, and, and that's it? I mean, it's as simple as that? It's as simple as that. But, again, <laughs> timing is everything, especially travel wishes. And right now, because of the Chinese virus, um, things are pretty much shut down for travel wishes, everything else. In fact, even the wish granters, which is a two-man team, to go and interview a child are all being held up. Uh, hundreds of ch- children are waiting for their wishes. But like I say, it's as simple as that. We go interview the child, uh, the wish team does, and they find out what the child's wish may be, not the parents. That's why they, with the permission of the parents, they interview the child separately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is there something you'd like to have, something you'd like to do, somebody you'd like to meet, somewhere you would like to go? Those are the four categories. And the age mm-hmm. range from it is two and a half to 18 years old. Wow. Actually, I know some I met somebody recently, uh her 
her, uh, I think it's her niece's son. Uh, so when you say that wishes are, are now kind of in a holding pattern because of the, the, uh, the virus, uh, her niece's son is, is in that category. Um, but uh, like you said, it's, it's really an incredible thing for a family to even know that their child, I, hopefully a, a lot of these children do survive now, but that they can have something that, um, that means so much to them being fulfilled. It's something that I'm thinking about in terms of the senior population. Uh, so that's why another reason why I really wanted to have this conversation with you. Uh, because there are so many people who, older people who haven't had many of their wishes fulfilled, and some of them can be very simple. And uh, some even that I've encountered working in the over 45 skilled nursing facilities in which I've worked, I've encountered many people who said, I wish I could have, and it could be something very simple. Sometimes I try and fulfill it on an individual basis, but some of them obviously are, are larger scale, so uh, that's something that I'm thinking about as well. Yeah, and there's several uh, uh, senior adult and senior wish-granting organizations throughout the United States. Uh, in fact, in Arizona, there's one been around for several years called the Bucket List Foundation, <laughs> and several in California. And all you have to do is Google uh, senior wishes, senior right. wish foundations. But um, just and just what you mentioned, what they are doing is senior has a wish. Okay, let's make it happen. Right. And uh, especially for, I find, for, well, there are people who don't have family any longer. Uh, they may even be living in the community, or it can be people that uh, are in assisted livings or nursing homes. And you mentioned something to me uh, in our previous conversation that I thought was really terrific, and it's making me start to think about how, I, uh, how this could be, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, can be duplicated on a grander scale, let's say. Uh, you said that where you're living uh, during Christmas time, they have a um, a Christmas tree and they have one for senior wishes kind of thing. Is that yeah. uh, yes? Am I in, describing in, it in a local yeah local Walmart store? Um, and Walmart, I learned, can the people in in the Walmart store, the employees, each store can um, go to different organizations uh, for charity events to give back to the community. They choose what they want to do. And the one store here in Prescott, Arizona, I'm up in northern Arizona, uh, chooses seniors, the senior homes, and they have a big Christmas tree, like the Christmas angel-type concept. And there's the little ornaments with all the seniors' names and which senior home they may be and what they would like for Christmas, a pair of slippers, a book, a DVD, uh, even up to a television. Who knows? But very popular every year, and there's never ornaments left over. The community, mm-hmm. and we're a small community, only 45,000 people, but the community takes care of the seniors. Yeah, when, like I said, when you mentioned it to me, I started thinking about how that can be um, duplicated in other communities, whether it's Walmart or other organizations, so it's something I'm thinking about. It's really a beautiful concept. I, it's really no different than having uh, children go sit on Santa's Santa's lap, right, and say what they want. Of, co- of course, those families or parents usually, in most cases, fulfill those uh, those wishes. So it's uh, it's really a beautiful gesture. Uh, I had a question about um, people donating to the Make a Wish Foundation. If a uh, let's say if a family member, um, let's say it's even an older person, and they have somebody in their family who has a life-threatening illness, can people donate an amount of money dedicated for a particular person? Yes, they can uh, with the local chapters, and, and it's called um, Sponsor-A-Wish. Oh, okay. And they can, they, they can make a donation. Let's say there's a child, seven years old, just an example, wants to go to Disneyland, and his name maybe is Robert. And uh, they can go in there and say, I want to sponsor Robert's Wish, uh, which a lot of times is, is better because, like any nonprofit foundation, you have to have expenses to run the foundation. You have to have pay salaries, equipment. Um, and, by the way, I, I never took a salary when I was associated with Make-A-Wish Foundation. But they can sponsor that wish. The money then goes direct to that wish instead of overall expenses. Mm, that's good to know. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a limit, a dollar amount, let's say, on the wishes? Uh, or, uh, do you know what I mean by that? Uh, because Let's yeah. say there's a huge expense involved. Uh, how does that work? There, there is not. That's up to the chapter. Each chapter has its own board of directors. The average wish right now is $10,000 because, and you say, let's say a Disney. Let's give an example of that. Wow, that's a lot of money for Disney. Well, it's not just for the child. It's for the whole family. If there's brothers and sisters involved, everybody goes because this whole family is going through the trauma, whatever this child is going. So let's make this wish something the family can be a family unit again and not worry about the price of a hot dog, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's some wishes I recall that uh, go up to twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Really? What what would that entail? Uh, and that's uh, like an overseas thing to meet the Pope or whatever it might be. Um, it's just up to that board of directors. And a lot of that money comes in, as you mentioned, specifically for that child. That uh, mm. the expenses could go up. Now, I want to make something clear. I'm not associated with Make a Wish Foundation right now. Um, okay. Th- because because of the movie, there was a conflict of interest, and even though, like I said, I never received a salary from Make-A-Wish, if there was any way I might make some money off that name, and the movie is not about the Make-A-Wish Foundation, it's my life story, yes, but still, I developed this on integrity and character, and we just dissolved ourselves from anything to do with Make-A-Wish for now. Well, I, I appreciate the fact that you, uh, for transparency purposes, that you mentioned that, uh, but that is no, in no way dim, diminishes or takes away what, from the mission and the accomplishments of the Make-A-Wish Foundation and the fact that you are the founder. Yeah, um, and, and, and not at all. And I do everything I can to support the foundation through my speaking engagements and that to encourage people to look at it uh, if they want to make donations. Now, I sit on a board of directors for eight nonprofits around the United States, so I kind of spread it to each one that I'm sitting on. But everybody has their own interest if they're interested in a nonprofit. You know, there might be cancer research or animals or whatever, veterans, homeless, whatever it might be. So everybody just research it and make sure the biggest thing, Phyllis, as I always say, uh, charitynavigator.org, charitynavigator.org is the watchdog for nonprofits around the United States. They get the IRS filings every year, and they report where the money is actually going. Is it going to the mission, or is it going into somebody's pocket, high salaries, travel, entertainment, which unfortunately so many nonprofits do. Yeah, uh, that has been a long-standing issue for nonprofits, and I'm glad to hear you say that. Uh, I mean, it's extraordinarily generous of you that you never took a salary, but that most of the money does go to granting the wishes, because I think people uh, sometimes are reluctant to donate to a charity because they're not quite sure how much of the money actually goes to what the mission of the the, the charity is. Right, and that's what Charity Navigator will show you. You can. There's 1.2 million nonprofits in the United States right now. Just oh, think God. about that. Everybody competing for money. But pull up, and I will just say Make-A-Wish uh, Arizona. Uh, click on that. It's an A to Z listing, <clears throat> and it will show you a pie chart of where the money is going, how much is going to salary, how much is going to the mission, fundraising, etc. And in the nonprofit world, if 70% or 70 cents of every dollar is going to the mission, that is usually a four-star rating, which is the high rating, one through four stars. And you can click on most any charity. You can see where the money is going. Wounded Warriors, a very good nonprofit, but several years ago took a bad hit because the money was going to expensive trips for the executives, Mm. uh, just everything, and it dropped it. And they worked real hard to get that rating back up by reorganizing their board and president and CEO and et cetera. Well, I, 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 I can't, I'm, I'm actually dumbfounded that uh, that was the case with, with Wounded Warriors because we, we all, uh, I think, have a spot in our heart for that uh, organization. Exactly, and I do too. So, uh, but I'm glad to know that they reorganized, and if they were able to turn that around, then that's uh, really a terrific thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, 
what else uh, do you want to tell me uh, specifically about wishes, or can you think of one other story besides Chris in the you know few minutes we have before we go to the break? One that stands out for you, maybe. Well, there's there's so many. I mean, everything from I want a pair of tennis shoes. I've never been to a restaurant. I want to, like I said, meet the Pope. I want to be president for a day. But the the first official wish is the one that really catalysts to what we are today. A little boy, seven years old, again, leukemia, again, only a few months to live, and wanted to go to Disneyland in California. And when I found out he wanted to go to Disney, uh, I had our secretary call Disney say, we have a Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, here's this little boy, seven years old. What we're looking for is free admission. We're a nonprofit, and we would like him to be able to get to the front of the lines. He's very ill in a wheelchair. And I found out later Disney gets these bogus requests all the time. They had no idea who we are. We're brand new. And they kept hanging up. And the secretary says, I, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, let me call. And we're trying to get a hold of the uh, director of uh, public relations. And I called over there and got the secretary. And I didn't say this is Frank Shankless, president of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I said, this is Officer Frank Shankless, Arizona Highway Patrol. And you could almost see her kind of setting up a little straighter. <laughs> and she said, what's, yes, sir, what's this about? I said, well, I need to talk to your director. Said, well, what about? I said, I have a warrant for one of your people. <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, so you guess who I got to talk to? But the immediate I got the gentleman on the phone, I said, I just lied to you, sir. Here's my name. Here's my badge number. Here's my supervisor's name and phone number. And if you call him, I will be terminated immediately for lying to you. But will you please listen to my story? Well, he did listen to my story. And now, 40 years later, Disney being one of the most sponsors of Make-A-Wish Foundation, literally millions and millions of dollars, but it also got us press, nationwide press, on that very first wish in March of 1981. And I tell people, sometimes you've got to lie a little bit to get what you want, but qualify that lie right away. Uh, I have the chills from head to toe just uh, just listening to that story, but I agree with you. Sometimes you have to, uh, whether it's lie or bend the, tr- bend the truth, of course, in the uh, best interest of transparency, you want to convey that, but sometimes you have to um, take a different path to, go, to get to the door where you uh, want to get to to accomplish the mission, and obviously this was on such an incredible level. Like, how could anybody say no? So it's extraordinary now that uh, Disney is such a huge sponsor of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And um, so with that, I guess we'll take a break um, for a few moments, and we'll return on uh, Seniors Straight Talk. Uh, with the wonderful conversation with Frank Shankwitz, uh, founder of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. Rubina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of All of Community Services, a 501c3 providing support services to seniors, families, and the community. Olive's Live, Learn, and Thrive programs engage seniors physically, mentally, and socially. Rubina's passion for seniors stems from her experiences as an only child, living miles away from her aging parents who are over 90 years of age. She understands the issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org for further information. In the best of times, nursing home residents suffer from isolation and loneliness. Because of COVID-19, senior residents are missing out on connecting with family and friends. You can change this. Video chats help them stay connected with loved ones. You can help to change a nursing home resident's life. 
please help us purchase mobile devices so they can stay connected because senior connections matter. Click the banner on the show page or visit GoFundMe.com now and search for Senior Connections Matter. Connecting seniors through technology to make your donation. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the hosts at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now, back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here again with Frank Shankwitz, founder of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. We're having a wonderful conversation about Make-A-Wish. And I wanted to, uh, Frank, ask you, uh, you had mentioned in the first segment other uh, nonprofits that you're involved in. So would you be willing to talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. And um, the message of my, my book, Wishman, and also the movie, is everyone can be a hero. When somebody needs help, help them. Give back when you can. It doesn't have to be money, but your time. And uh, because of the conflict of interest in resigning from Make-A-Wish, uh, it's given me the opportunity to help develop several nonprofits around the United States. And um, just real quick on the name of them, Level Up Homes out of Seattle. When a foster child turns 18 years old, they're removed from the system, meaning they're put on the street. They have nowhere to go. And we're starting this in Seattle. We're developing group homes where these children, they're still children, 18 years old, I call them children, uh, have a place to live uh, from 18 to 23 where they can finish high school, get into the college, get into the trades, whatever it might be, learn how to become the new, I like to call it new adults, not young adults, <laughs> new adults. Uh, Project Kind out of New Jersey. This is a uh, for the homeless uh, and street people. Uh, developing warehouses where they can come in locations they know where they can get food, where they can get clothes, where they can even get shelter. Uh, Broadway Hearts, this is kind of a fun one, out of New York City. I know several of the cast members personally from Fan of the Opera. And um, what they've developed is they go into the children's hospitals in the New York area, the Ronald McDonald House, go in there and sing and dance the Disney-type tunes for the kids and also develop scholarships in the arts. The kids just love this. They have so much fun with this. Uh, the U.S. Vets, uh, it's not associated with the Veterans Administration. Uh, we have a chapter up here, and that's what we do with U.S. Vets is we find the homeless veterans. We get them into temporary housing, and we get them into counseling, job training, job placement, and permanent housing. Um, the Wounded Blue, we're based out of Las Vegas. This is to help police officers injured in the light of duty. This is nationwide where we're doing this, to get them counseling. So many officers, uh, PTSD issues, especially in today's environment. Uh, over 800 officers committed suicide last year because they couldn't get counseling. And we're developing private counseling nationwide for these uh, uh, officers. The Rugby Foundation, again based out of Las Vegas, developing in the inner cities, the poor neighborhoods and that, uh, get kids interested in rugby, the sport of rugby, and also get them interested in how to give back to the community, how to respect your, your law enforcement, your, your parents, teachers, etc. Uh, and this, is, this has already gone nationwide and worldwide. Uh, Safe Beat, it's based out of Georgia. Uh, over a 1,000 children last year died of uh, heart illness, heart attacks, had no idea they had heart issues. The parents, even the doctors, didn't know this because it's not checked for that. And we're developing uh, big uh, buses that go into the communities where the children just go in and get tested real quick to find out if they have issues or not. And hopefully we're going to save a lot of kids that way. Uh, this one is kind of uh, intimidating for me. The Women of Global Change. Uh, 
I'm the only male board member, and it scares me. <laughs> really? I would not think, after watching your movie, Frank, never in a million years would I uh, think of you as being intimidated or scared in any Oh, situation. yeah. Oh, yeah. These are some very powerful and determined ladies. And what they do is they're going, again, worldwide, uh, going into uh, areas that uh, developing clean water, schools, clothing, etc., and not only world, but within our own United States, doing so much. Well, what's the name but of the organization? Women of Global Change. And Women it's of Global Change. Based out of Change. Los Angeles. Okay. And uh, last year they did a great big toy drive in Las Vegas, helping Las Vegas Metro PD with a toy drive, uh, getting thousands and thousands of toys for the inner city kids so they could have a Christmas. So that's what keeps me busy. There's no downtime in my senior years. Um, I, I guess not. Uh, there's something that uh, you said about veterans that um, I uh, wanted to bring up because I've spoken with uh, one gentleman. I actually also had him on the uh, Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show. Uh, there are many veterans actually in nursing homes that are entitled to benefits that aren't receiving them. And there are people that um, help work with uh, families of veterans and veterans right. themselves. Uh, there are many of them that really don't even need to be in nursing facilities, uh, skilled nursing facilities, I should say. Uh, there's a lot of money out there that they're really entitled to, and it's really shameful, uh, in my opinion, my humble opinion, that people who serve for our country, fought for our country, sacrifice for our country, uh, and their families are not uh, being afforded the benefits that they really should be receiving. Right, and that's one of the also the missions of U.S. Vets. Uh, and like I said, it's not part of the Veterans Administration. They are they have chapters nationwide, U.S. Vets, and they are one of the few nonprofits in the United States that 86 cents on an average of every dollar goes to the mission, which is unheard of in the nonprofit world. One of the top nonprofits. And if any of the listeners, if just what you mentioned, a veteran need help contact the local U.S. Vets chapter, they can get them going to those services that are available to them. Hmm. Very important for people to know. Uh, I mean, you're doing extraordinary work, and it's funny that you said that about in your senior years because there are so many people who, you know, consider having retired and Certainly people are entitled to do that, or they, they've moved from the, the job they had uh, for most of their lives and now thinking what can they do in this next chapter. Elderhood uh, is, a, is a way of saying it. It's, uh, I think we have young adulthood, adulthood, and elderhood. And there is certainly a, a lot of ways people can give back. Like you said, if it's not money, it's time. There's a lot of just by how many... Um, Nonprofits, did you say there were in, in this country? 1.2 million. 1.2 million. So in all likelihood, there's something that somebody will, can connect with, has a passion for, an interest in, uh, where they could contact uh, a nonprofit and, and give of their time and their energy. And uh, if you help one person, that's, that's helping one person that uh, didn't have the help before you, you, they encountered uh, an interaction with you. So I think that would be a wonderful thing for people in their older years if they're looking for something to do, to pursue. But yeah, um, I, Go ahead, fellas. No, you go ahead. <clears throat> I'm so fortunate because when I retired after 42 years, I'm not the guy that wants to sit on the porch, even though that's kind of nice every now and then. But right. What am I going to do next? And I'm so fortunate to all of a sudden pick up a speaking career and um, – like you mentioned, uh, even identified as a, the Forbes Top 10 keynote speaker in 2016, but they have this whole new career traveling around the United States, meeting people, um, just, and then all of a sudden developing, they want a book, and then we make a movie. And you mentioned Wishman, uh, the movie Wishman, which is now available on Netflix, but low-budget independent movie, but we became qualified for Best Picture Academy Award last year. Which, oh, extraordinary. I mean, and, uh, it, it was, because here we are with the big boys, meaning you know, millions and millions of dollars right. making a movie, and all of a sudden a small independent movie is right there with the big boys. So very, very I, flattering to cast and crew. 
And you mentioned earlier that the the movie is really about your life. It's not about the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And I'm glad that you brought it up because I wanted to ask you about it, uh, if you would be willing to talk about it. It is an extraordinary movie about your life. And um, I I had promised you that I would watch it before the interview, and I did. And I do know your dog's name, Corky. (laughs) (laughs) And I had a a dog in my own... um, extended family and my actually my mother's sister's family uh, they had a dog Corky for many years so as soon as I saw it I was like oh my god Corky the movie for your listeners is um, a period piece from age uh, 10 uh, starting 1950s to 1980 when I started the Make-A-Wish Foundation and the events especially in my childhood uh, that helped develop character, integrity, work ethic, and then the people that uh, I worked with that helped me just mold, as I say, the, the kid into the man, and then the events that led up to starting the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So uh, do you want to talk about the accident that you had and how that uh, contributed to you, uh, to you getting to this point? Yeah, and, and we, we, we feature that in the movie, and what you're referring to is, I mentioned I was on a 10-man tactical motorcycle squad, worked the whole state of Arizona, and uh, it was 1978, and we sent our whole team into an area called Parker, Arizona, which is on the Colorado River, uh, separated by California, and this is during Easter break. This little town of 2,000 grows to 85,000 with all the college kids on spring break. Uh, nothing but fatal accidents, drugs, rapes, murders, you name it, it's going on. I'm in a high-speed chase with a drunk driver, 85 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. Another drunk driver pulled in front of me. I hit him broadside at 85. Uh, I was told the crash was spectacular um, and pronounced dead at the scene. Well, obviously, there's the rest of the story because you and I are talking. Exactly. (laughs) My my, my partner tried to revive me. He couldn't do it. He called in the code. Officer killed in the line of duty. Uh, Every police officer ever worked, including myself, would believe in a higher being. You go to work every day, say a little prayer, please allow me to come home. You get home at night. Thank you for allowing me to come home. Uh, Mm. I believe in guardian angels, not the ones with the wings and the gowns, but... (laughs) God said something, somebody, that's your garden angel. In this case, was an off-duty emergency room nurse who stopped at the scene, um, said, I'm going to try to revive him. He's dead. She didn't listen, thank God, and brought me back to life after four minutes of CPR. And it took a, a long time to recover from that accident, a massive brain injury, skull fracture, a lot of broken bones, missing skin. But during the counseling period, after therapy, make sure my head's right, go back to work, the counselor said, you know, God spared you for a reason. It's now it's up to you to find that reason. And two years later, I found that reason when I was introduced to the little boy who inspired me to start the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Uh, it's an extraordinary story. It's extraordinary when you see it, um, watching the movie. I was telling somebody uh, that I was going to be interviewing you. Actually, it was the uh, store that I went to. They downloaded it for me because for some reason my Netflix wasn't working, and I said, well, I, I said I was going to watch this movie, so I have to get it. That was like my, I, I made that, that wish. I made that statement. I had to fulfill that, right? So, uh, and I wanted to watch it anyway. I had heard about the movie a while back, but at that time it was in a local movie theater, um, an art cinema, but they only have movies that run for short time, so I had missed it. But I, I did want to see it anyway. Uh, so the gentleman asked me to ask you, I hope you don't mind me asking you this, um, because he watched the movie. I told him about it, and, and he watched the movie. He was so interested. And he asked me to ask you, which the little boy asks you in the movie, what was that experience like in those four minutes? Is there anything that you can share about that? Well, there's, and, and again, through counseling, because I never thought about it until the counselor brought out the psychologist. And uh, he asked, do you remember going through the tunnel? And I said, what do you mean, Doc? And started explaining about the tunnel. This happened in an emergency situation when people die and are brought back to life. That as your life goes away, it's like you're looking at a tunnel, you get towards the end of the tunnel, and the light just starts closing. And when it's completely closed, you're dead. 
and when you start bringing back to life, this little beam of light starts opening up like you're getting again in the tunnel, uh, and all of a sudden you're brought back to life. Now, being a cop, you got to have humor in it and what you do. <laughs> and, and I recall, I recall the constable saying, "You remember your senses coming back, uh, Doc? What do you mean?" Well, you're coming back to life. You've lost all your senses. You remember your senses coming back. Well, that's not what I'm thinking about it. Uh, the sense of sound. I'm hearing sirens in the background. I'm hearing, he's alive, he's alive. I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, the sense of smell, something very sweet, something very pleasant. Uh, the sense of touch, something's tickling my face. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, Something's on my lips. The sense of sight. I open my eyes, and there's this beautiful blonde with a lip lock on me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you yeah, talked and, and, about that and, in the movie. I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Doc, if, if this is heaven, I'm happy. I mean, this is okay. But again, just those senses coming back. But also during that tunnel thing, uh, and I didn't talk about that a lot, is I saw my, my daughters. I had little girls then, seven and nine. I just saw them kind of laughing. It was almost like they were dancing in midair, just laughing and giggling, and then everything went away. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. And, um, and like I learned, uh, this happens to a lot of people uh, in emergency room situations where they code out and they are brought back to life. Very, very interesting. Um, uh, I, I don't even know what to say in response to that because um, as you're talking about a tunnel, I'm trying to imagine traveling through a tunnel. And, um, of course, that's a very different experience because we're here doing it consciously, but I'm, I'm trying to imagine what that must be like or what it must feel like. Um, but you really weren't aware of this until you went through a, a process of therapy. Correct, correct. Yeah, they, they brought it back. It, it, it's almost like a hypnosis thing mm. where we, we used in uh, investigative um, forensic interviewing, almost a hypnosis thing where we can bring the people back to an instant that happened. Oh, interesting. Uh, you talked about having to have a lot of rehabilitation, so I'm a speech and language pathologist, and... Um, I've worked in many skilled nursing facilities and short-term rehabilitation centers. Uh, could you describe a little bit of what you had to go through in that process? For which accident? There were several. <laughs> oh, oh, I, <laughs> At the I, motorcycle I'm... officer, yeah. No, <laughs> on that one, um, almost crippled. Uh, well, the biggest thing first was the brain injury and, and working with things. If I could have been on uh, America's Funniest Home Videos, I probably would have won because and I'm saying this in jest, but so many people have to go through this very traumatic, where there's a piece of food on a plate, there's a fork, you try and pick mm -hmm. up the fork, yep. you're trying to concentrate to pick up that piece of food, you're stabbing your arm, your leg, everything around you, because your brain won't function to that. And you've got Correct. to retrain your brain on everything, on walking, on mobility, on thinking, on eating, whatever it might be. Uh, that was the hardest part of the uh, rehabilitation the physical therapists i hate those people they, <laughs> why is that frank oh they work that's you a to friend death. of mine <laughs> they work you to death it's worse than going in a gym um hey my leg's broken we're trying to get it work what we're going to really get going that you walk out of there so sore <laughs> i mean well, they, they do a great there's job. no pain there's no gain right that's right that's right they do such a great job but boy they work you to death Yep, it's no joke. How long did you have to be in rehab after that um, motorcycle accident, that, that, that one? Yeah, that particular one took almost six months total, uh, and the biggest thing was the brain injury. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was struck when we had our last conversation, and I am struck again uh, now, because uh, when you talk about having a brain injury, did you have any speech? Did you need speech therapy? I did not need speech therapy. Isn't that amazing? Um, maybe I should have, but <laughs> no, I could, I, I could converse, um, but I just couldn't. I could tell somebody, I'm going to pick up that cup, but I couldn't pick up the cup. Correct. Now, I have yeah. a question about that, and, and this is just a little more clinical and technical, only because I'm, a, I'm asking you as a clinician. Um, people might not understand what that is. Uh, it wasn't because you were paralyzed, I'm assuming. I could be wrong, but it was because you couldn't um, 
um, navigate or control your muscles to do that thing, to pick up that cup or that fork. Correct. Is that correct? correct? I, you know, yes. Yeah, I, I, was, I was not paralyzed. It was just the brain was not singling. I could tell correct. my brain I want so, to pick that up, but the brain went through the motor motion to pick that up. Correct. It's, an, it's actually, there's a name for it. It's called apraxia, and it's the fact that it's not that your muscles are paralyzed. It's that you can't do that action on command or intentionally. But at another point in time, you might be able to go pick up a cup, but not when you necessarily when you want to do it. Correct, correct. And again, working with therapists, working with uh, the people on that, everything comes back together. Fortunately, right, it takes time, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't happen with everybody. Some people, it's permanent. But I was very fortunate. Again, correct. like I said, God spared you for a reason. So, And, and absolutely, uh, the world is a better place because of you, Frank Shankowitz. What about... Um, so we, we talked about therapy, and you talked about, uh, I asked you about the experience of kind of coming back from, from being pronounced uh, dead. Um, so much goes into that in terms of resilience. I, I talk a lot about resilience, especially now with the, the virus. I mean, I've worked with a lot of uh, family caregivers, obviously, through the years and working in nursing home facilities. But now, especially with the virus, there are people that are isolated, they're lonely, they're depressed, uh, they're worried. Uh, as a healthcare worker, I know the experience of wearing all this PPE. It's very, very debilitating. Uh, so I talk a lot about resilience. As a matter of fact, I have an e-book that's probably going to come out um, in the next within the next week on resilience. Um, what, what would you say are important ingredients for being a resilient person? Or what do you have to do to be resilient? The, the, the biggest thing in my mind, I'm no expert in this, obviously, uh, but is to find some way to stay active. Um, and I'm very fortunate because I'm on interviews, I'm promoting the movie, the book, I've got a new TV series I'm, they're having me work on, so I'm very busy. But I'll give you a good example. I mentioned one of my nonprofits uh, that I set on Broadway Hearts. Now, because of the coronavirus, these Broadway actors, the Phantom and all the Broadway shows are shut down in New York City right now. And they cannot, uh, the nonprofit cannot go to the children's hospitals, the Ronald McDonald homes anymore, to entertain the kids. And after about a month, all of these actors have said, oh, my God, I'm going crazy. I said, wait a minute, guys. You can do a virtual, I made the suggestion, uh, appearance into these hospitals. Get together, do whatever song and dance, do your virtual appearance. Everybody on the screen, there's a group of about 12 of them. And they go in and they sing and dance <laughs> for these kids. The kids love it. So every week now they're putting together these whole shows, these whole routines to broadcast in there. That's just some fun example of what they're doing. Right, and I know there are a lot of uh, online programs now, webinars, Zoom. There are so many things that people can participate in. It is not the same as having a person-to-person -person interaction. It is true, and to be perfectly honest, uh, I myself have feel, felt on days that I was Zoomed out or webinared out. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to, to participate in. It's, it's, it, that in and of itself, it's draining. It's a different kind of human interaction. But um, at, let me ask you then, as a, a motorcycle officer, as a detective, what kind of resilience training do you uh, have or do you receive when you have um, experienced, I'll say, traumatic events in the course of performing your job? Well, going back years ago, we had nothing, um, and that's why the issue with PTSD, in fact, is still going on today with police officers, with first responders, uh, as you can probably be aware of, especially the uh, field that you're in. Right. Um, and that's why we developed private counseling. Uh, I was one of those guys, in fact, that um, it was called combat fatigue back then before PTSD, mm -hmm. and uh, luckily, I, uh, my supervisor, because I explained to your audience, a police officer now generally anywhere in the nation goes to the supervisor. He sees so many deaths. He's investigated so many fatal accidents. Sergeant, I need to talk to somebody. Listen, if you can't handle it, you're fired. And that goes right. on today like it did 40 years ago or more. 
Um, and that's why we developed private counseling. But I encourage all those people to do that. And that's what we did. My resilience back then was um, people laugh at me. You've used drugs. I've never used any type of drug in my life, uh, illegal drugs, and I don't even like legal drugs following operations of that. But mine is, you're asking me, my personal one is I'm skiing. I'm on the top of a mountain looking out. My God, look at what God created here. I'm up in the Yellowstone area fishing. Uh, I'm just doing something to get my head straight, just to get it clear. And it's also about the people to surround yourself with that are going to help you, that recognize it, that realize what's going on. Um, Again, because of this movie, speaking career for the past seven years, I've been on the road. I'm on an airplane every other week somewhere. I'm happy to be home. We've got a lot of acreage here that needs attendance (laughs) that's been neglected. So I'm happy to be home for a while. The honeydew chores. Mm, uh, I I do know that in uh, 2009, or since 2009, the U.S. Army has been teaching and training resilience skills to soldiers and their families in a uh, master's resilience training course. Um, I think it's run by the Army's Comprehensive Soldier and Family Fitness Program. Which is an excellent program, and I wish the police agencies around the states would do that. Even your larger ones, look at what's going on with New York PD. I mean, a, a large, over 33,000 officers, and they're resigning in mass. Absolutely. Uh, actually, when you talk about New York, I do believe a, a couple of months ago when uh, New York was a hotspot for the virus that Governor Cuomo had referred to this uh, U.S. Army Resilience Training Program, uh, Resilience Training Program that he was going to, um, I guess, try and uh, bring into the state for, like you said, healthcare responders, healthcare and first responders who were experiencing all of this mortality, and uh, it was just nonstop. Now other states are experiencing it, you know, other hot spots, and it's. Uh, it's a, it's a real phenomenon. It's a real phenomenon. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. And let, let's hope it's a ripple effect that just goes across the nation with agencies. And, again, ah. not, just for, not just for your police and fire, but all your, all your first medical, everybody else that needs that. Just somebody to talk to. As we talk about, let's get the ghost out of our heads so we can get back to work. Yeah, I agree. Actually, you just used a word, uh, the ripple effect. Isn't that the name of this other uh, non-pro or this other uh, organization that you have that sponsors or or supports other nonprofits? Isn't that the name of it? I think I remember that from the movie. Actually, we uh, no, there wasn't. I was, several years ago, I was asked to start a new nonprofit called the Ripple Effect Foundation. And uh, it just never got off the ground. I got so involved with the production of the movie that we just set it to the side. So, about I mentioned in the movie what you're talking about, we can cause for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, we can cause a ripple effect that will go across the nation and the world, which it has done for the Make-A-Wish. Oh, okay. I get it. Well, listen, Frank, this has just been um, been just a total honor to be able to speak with you. You are a true, uh, a true natural resource, a true, a true gift to this country and the world, and um, it's just been my honor and my pleasure to spend this time speaking with you, and um, I'm sure the listeners appreciated it as well. So thanks again so much. Frank, I uh, hope you'll be willing to share your contact information or any way that the audience would be able to get in touch with you. Oh, yes, Phyllis, thank you. Uh, they can go to my website, Wishman1, that's the number one, wishman1.com, and that lists all my upcoming speaking engagements, uh, sales on my merchandise, um, where I'm going to be, how you can get involved, and so on. And then also on Facebook. I'm just on Facebook, Frank Shankwitz, uh, and love contacting with people. And uh, I will say on a personal note that I uh, connected with you on LinkedIn and you uh, accepted my invitation, so thank you very much for that. And I do believe that you do connect with people if they reach out to you. Isn't that correct? Yes, I do, and I'm very flattered. I get about 10 to 15 contacts a day, uh, especially from the email from all over the world. I just got one from Ireland of the nine-year-old girl watched the movie, Wishman. She was so inspired. She said, I have very long hair. 
I cut my hair off and sold it and donated it to the Make-A-Wish Foundation of Ireland. I oh, mean, my goodness. How isn't beautiful that great? is that? Yeah. That is just beautiful. Well, thanks again, Frank, and um, I'm sure the listeners really enjoyed this, and uh, I hope we'll uh, continue to have this association and uh, be in touch. It, it's just been fantastic. Thank you, Phil. It's a pleasure. Take care. And this is Phyllis Amen of Seniors Straight Talk, and will uh, join us again for another episode um, in the near future. Take care, stay well, and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your hosts, Phyllis Amen and Rubina Chaudhry, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms. 